This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You mm-hmm. are a badass. <laughs> like you are so freaking cool. Can't even reply to all of the things that you just said because this episode would end up being four hours long. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Megan. I'm a mother of two with my training in lower elementary, ages six to nine. And I'm also currently working on my primary training, ages three to six. Today, I am joined by Laura, mother of two with her Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, ages six through 12. And Rachel will not be joining us tonight, and we will definitely miss her. But we are very excited to say that we will have a guest, Linda, aka the Montessori teacher. But before Linda joins us, let Let's start by catching up. Laura, you're the only one here, so you get to go first. Yay. I guess all I really have to say is that I'm shocked to already be sitting here and saying that by the time this episode comes out, we have officially wrapped on the fourth trimester. Wow. We are at 12 weeks in just like a couple days. And that is just insane. It is absolutely insane. I do feel like I've made the best of it and been as present and like sponge-like soaking it all up as much as possible. I'm, I'm happy about that. And it's just crazy to me that he's really big. Like he's a tall, long baby. I feel like I only have his sister to compare him to. And she, I mean, it's not the only other baby I've ever seen, but like handled constantly and looked at all the time. And I feel like, well, she statistically speaking, she had a a head in the 99th percentile, but a body in the 30th percentile. So she was like a watermelon on toothpicks. And that's why you're sensitive. (laughs) I was like, this kid's never going to walk. And then there's him. And he is also 99th percentile head, but like 98th percentile in length or height or whatever. I want to say tall, but it's weird because he can't like stand up, you know, but you can hold him up like this. (laughs) And he is just like already the size of my entire torso. He's so big. And I'm really just interested to see where that's going to go. Like, is he going to plateau or is he going to be like a really tall kid? Because we're not exceptionally tall people, but we both have some exceptionally tall relatives like here and there in the family tree. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Look at my daughter's curly head of hair. Sometimes things skip. That is very, that's very true. And also something I love so much about her. So yeah, it's just funny to see how the genetics shake out, you know, and it's really kind of helping me to feel like we are at the end of the trimester because he's so big that I'm like, oh God, he's been here for like five months. I mean, yeah, he does not look like a newborn anymore to me. You know that picture you sent the other day? He's just gorgeous. Like he's just a beautiful baby. Isn't he? He's a beautiful little boy. (laughs) I love him so much. I'm so glad he's sleeping right now. She's going to be singing a different tune if he wakes up in the middle of this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Which he most likely will. But actually, no, you know what? He's been a good sleeper. He's a sweet little guy. And I am in so much trouble, dude, because when he smiles at me, I'm like, you can have it. All of it. It's it's yours. Anything. So that's what I've got going on over here. How about you? Well, I need to see him soon, but we can't stop getting sick over here. Oh, my God. I know. It's been crazy. Just I took my son to the doctor yesterday just to get him his, you know, note to go back to school. I was telling the doctor, I was like, I just feel like 
we've been sick like every four, three to four weeks. And is there anything we can do? Is that normal? And she was like, well, you know, in their first year of school, it's pretty typical for a child to get about 11 to 12 viruses. And I was like, okay, well, that, that math checks out. But I'm also just like a ball of nerves because we've been talking about me working on my primary training every week when we do our introduction. And this week I began my written exams. And so I am just a ball of stress. I don't love tests. I mean, who does? Who loves tests? But I'm just especially stressed about it because I just have these two little people who need me all the time. So I was trying to put my daughter to sleep tonight and I was just telling you that she's like got her eyes closed. She looks like she's falling asleep. She's doing that little twitch thing when they are right about to fall asleep into like a nice good sleep and you can crawl away. And she just opens her eyes and looks at me and says, I'm a little nervous about crocodiles and we have to start all (laughs) over again. All I can think about is like I have all of these things to study and I have to not only be able to sit there and study them, but like be mentally present enough to absorb that information. And yeah, so just wish me all the best of luck. It's two weeks. I have two three-hour exams on two different days. So it's three hours of writing, three hours of writing and pass fail. So just shower me with good luck. Absolutely. You got this. And you know what? We have awesome listeners. I challenge you to message our account and give Megan all of the love and well wishes. Yes, I am. I'm so close and it's starting like everything's starting to kind of wrap up, which means that a lot of big things are happening and it's time to kind of get to the pinnacle of all of the exams and testing and big assignments and things like that that I have. And I am just stressed. I'm stressed. Yeah, girl, I can imagine. And everyone just keeps throwing up and I just I'm trying to study. <laughs> Just stop throwing up, <laughs> including me. Yeah. God, your salmon dinner. How long do you think it's going to be before you want to eat salmon again? And Caesar salad. Oh, no. Such strong things to throw up. I was sitting in bed in the middle of class and I was thinking, I, you know, probably feel good to just get everything out of there. But you know what? I don't want it to be this. So I'm just going to sit here really quietly and still and hope that it goes away. And it did not. (laughs) (laughs) That's my girl. I love it. Well, in the meantime, I truly do wish you all of the luck. Although I don't think that you need it because you know your stuff, dude. You have Your heart is in it. Your brain is in it. You got this. I just get nervous about those little things. My trainer always says, don't forget to just say the obvious. And sometimes I do forget that part. (laughs) I'm a little up in the clouds and it's like, just state the obvious, you know? Yeah. Which I know is not your forte either. Nope. Not (laughs) at all. Not briefly anyway. Yeah. So let's let's get into it. We'll be back after this break. Okay, Laura, I need to talk to you about something. Talk to me. Tell me. What do you got? What's up? So I've discovered a new toy subscription. And you know I love a toy subscription, but this one is different. It is Tiny Earth Toys, and it is a rental toy subscription. Oh, Because I recently learned that 90% of children's toys are plastic and used for only six months. Mm. 80% end up in a landfill, incinerators, or the ocean. But Tiny Earth Toys is here to change that. It checks all our boxes. It's plastic-free, backed by educators, female-founded local so it's in our backyard and it's also a small business so not to mention that we have been able to cut down our clutter and storage in our home because we can just send them back when we're done instead of trying to find a place to keep them there's a five toy kit and it's valued at 250 dollars plus retail costs and the rental starts at 35 dollars a month which is much different than the other subscription boxes that are out there. By breaking the cycle of overconsumption and normalizing reuse of children's toys, we can empower an entire generation to consume consciously. So you can try out Tiny Earth Toys by going to tinyearthtoys.com and you can use the code WILD10 at checkout for $10 off your box. You can support our show by supporting our amazing partners. 
All right. Well, I say, should we bring in our guest for today? Yeah. Great. I am beyond excited to introduce our guest, Linda Apostle, popularly known by her social media handle, at the Montessori Teacher. Linda is the voice and coach and influence behind the Montessori Teacher. Her professional experience includes roles as a teacher, instructional coach, administrator in the public, private, and charter education sectors in both Montessori and traditional approaches. She credits both her education and the diversity in her experience for lending her an unmatched perspective and informed understanding of curriculum and instruction as it applies not only to the child, but to the guide and teacher. Linda now homeschools both of her children and serves as a highly sought after Montessori homeschool and lifestyle coach to parents around the world seeking to homeschool or world school with the Montessori method. She also supports educators and educational organizations as a speaker and education consultant. Linda's social media platforms inform, educate, and advocate toward a long-term vision of creating more inclusive Montessori spaces and celebrate diversity and promote the global perspective with cultural competence. We'd like to start off by getting to know you a little bit better. And if you can share kind of how you found Montessori and how it brought you to creating the program that you've created. That's a very wonderful question. I am a first-generation homeschooler. I'm also a first-generation Montessorian. My background is a little different from what you might imagine a Montessorian comes from. I was raised in poverty. I was raised in the projects in the border of El Paso and Juarez, Mexico. I went through schooling and for a very long time, for me, books and school and education was kind of like an escape from reality. And so it became really important to me. And I became very focused on education and schooling and going through a lot of lower income schools growing up. It really made me very passionate about education just in general, because I was the first in my family to be able to go to university. It wasn't a very popular idea. I am Mexican and my family is very conservative and very traditionally minded. And so as a woman, I had very strict gender norms to adhere to. And so me breaking away from that was a little wild. And so, you know, just through college and going through that, I think that college really opened my eyes to a lot of things. I went to school in San Francisco out of all the places. And so I had a lot of experiences that really was kind of like an awakening of sorts to a lot of things. After I met my husband and we got married and we were pregnant, I started looking for alternative ways to do things. And I had started my first master's program. I have two master's degrees. And my first one, when my daughter was just two weeks old, I started my first master's program. And it just so happened that one of the first sessions and courses that I had mentioned Montessori. And it was as if I was bit by this bug, right? Everybody says you were bit by a Montessori bug. I just went a little wild with self-study. I also have OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, not OCD. I kind of hyper-focus on research and study. It's just I do obsess and compulsively read things. And so when I got hit, you know, bit by the Montessori bug, I went headfirst and I read every book that I could get my hands on and I just went wild and it completely changed my life. I immediately started applying the Montessori method with my child. I enrolled her in a primary Montessori school. I toured 20 schools. And all of that was through my own through me and my own self-study and being self-taught. And eventually, when my daughter was in primary school, I decided to finally get my certification. So all this is to say, what led me to where I am now is almost like a paradigm shift, I think, that happened. Because before I went into Montessori, I was a traditional teacher. And I was a classroom teacher. I was also an instructional coach. So I had a very unique experience being able to go in as a parent into my daughter's primary classroom and sit and observe what was going on in Montessori and then leave and literally within 30 minutes go into somebody else's classroom doing traditional methods or 
project-based learning or whatever it is. And I was literally for about six months or a year going in and out of Montessori and other classrooms because that was my job. I was an instructional coach for teachers in a school district. So I had 12 schools that I oversaw and I would go in and I would help support teachers in their instructional practice. And so it became very clear to me that I needed to do Montessori. I kept doing things. I went back into the classroom so that I could get some experience with Montessori, became a coach there, eventually a director and administrator. And then the pandemic hit. And in the pandemic, I was in Texas at the time. My son has asthma and he is immunocompromised. And in Texas, they were requiring me as a director to go back in person. And I tried to work with them and try to tell them, hey, I cannot be ex- uh, very exposed. Is there a way? And they were not very flexible in me coming back. And I felt like I needed to make a choice of either my job or my son, because I couldn't live with that. I couldn't, I would not be able to live with, I'm the only one working outside of the house. And then I come back and something happens. Like I know that he would have gotten it from me. So I chose my son and I left a career that for over a decade, I had been studying and accumulating degrees for, and I started homeschooling. I had another awakening, I think that year, as as many of us did in 2020. And for me, it was the realization or kind of an understanding that a lot of my frustration with Montessori, because I had been having frustrations with Montessori because I didn't feel like I like we could do it justice in the classroom. And I was teaching teachers and I was directing teachers and it was always confined by the bureaucracies of institutions. It was always restricted because the teachers felt, you know, issues with hierarchies and this and the other. And for the first time when I was homeschooling, I felt truly liberated to truly follow my child without the pressure of, you know, hierarchies and bureaucracies and all of these things that are imposed upon you when you're part of an institution, whether it's a private school, a charter school, a public school, and I've worked in all of them. I don't know. Little by little, I started trying certain strategies and I adapted it. And I was able to basically apply everything that I used to teach teachers, right? Because you go into training and they teach you lesson planning and they teach you the lessons and you read some books and you write some essays, just like if you were getting a degree. And then they throw you in the classroom and they say, okay, now do it. And you're like, And so if you have the, if your school has the funds, they would bring you me. So I am an instructional coach by profession, not an online coach, but this is something that I not self-proclaimed. This is something that I worked and studied for and I have experience with before I came to homeschooling. And basically all of the things that I would teach the new teachers that were going through training or that had recently graduated were things around becoming a prepared adult because that's what they were missing is how do I put it all together? So they were missing systems. They were missing structure. They were missing like, okay, I'm observing the child. What do I do with that? How do I know they know? right? The assessment, they were missing the life organization. When do I plan? When do I prep? When do I lesson plan? And how do I lesson plan? How do I incorporate my observations with the Montessori lessons and make it into this individualized instruction that it's intended to be? And so all of those things that I coached on, I basically packaged (laughs) and I created and I put them in a framework. And that is the program that I do now is that really started with somebody reaching out for me on Instagram saying, Hey, what are you doing? Can I pay you to show me what you're doing? That's how all the best things start. I feel like (laughs) I had just quit my job and I had no plan B. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so those first three, four clients really helped me put it together. And that's what the program is. And that's a very long winded answer. But I feel like it's kind of the journey or the trajectory that led me to where I am today. Megan, don't yeah. don't even before you, <laughs> before you reply. See, she's not holding your finger up at you. She's holding it up at me. This is for Megan. Because I need to say, I need to ask if it's inappropriate to say, Linda, you mm-hmm. are a badass. Like you... <laughs> are so freaking cool. I love there's I can't even reply to all of the things that you just said, because this episode would end up being four hours long. But just yes, yes, 
Yes. I have to, I have to let you know. So I had, you know, said that I am embarrassingly huge fan of yours, but Laura, she's not, she just had had a baby. So she's, that's why her eyes got really big when you said you went back to school after two weeks. So she just had a baby a few months ago. And so she's just getting out of the newborn phase. And so she is definitely not on social media. I am under a rock just buried and she's coming in blind and I was telling her about meeting you I was like just trust me and so this is a sincere reaction from her yeah I was like listen she's getting a very authentic these were not rehearsed this is not on the script I am genuinely in awe and quite frankly in love with Linda I'm just super excited to hear everything else that you have to say Megan now what do you have something before I launch it to the questions or I do well I have so many questions because I was just thinking about to rewind it back a little bit, you said that you had the opportunity to, which is very rare to have the opportunity to witness two types of classrooms and environments. Whereas a lot of us, when we jump into Montessori, that's where you go. Or if you go in a traditional route, you dive into that and you had a very special opportunity to see both. What do you feel like steered you more towards Montessori when you were looking in the face of two different pedagogies? And what made you decide, I want to go the route towards Montessori, especially with your own children? Because I feel like that speaks volumes. When you choose it for your own children, Yeah. Why did you choose it for them and yourself? The big thing that I witnessed, the biggest difference was the joy in the children. And I'm going to get all emotional. I would, this was not planned, but it is. I will join you. I am recently (laughs) postpartum and we love talking about these topics. So let's just cry together. It is. I think it's just the joy in, in the children and the, the agency and honestly, the dignity that they are allowed to have in a Montessori setting. You know, just witnessing that side by side. I did because at the, at the same time that that was happening, I was also finishing up my other master's program. And so, you know, I did write like a whole thing about it, but it is a, it's literally that it's joy in the children, the agency and the dignity that they can keep, that they get to keep, that empowers them and ultimately makes them feel more confident in learning and and loving it, right? Because joy, I think joy sometimes gets confused with with happiness. And, and I don't mean happiness. I find it very important to highlight that difference because when I talk about Montessori joy, I'm not talking about a transient emotion, you know, being elated, this external expression of feeling that is happiness, right? That's a very temporary thing. When I talk about joy, I'm more referring to the internal peace and fulfillment, right? The the feeling content, right? It's almost like saying having what you want and wanting what you have are two very different things. And so to me, that's joy. What was your experience like? Because you you said that you you witnessed this joy, which I completely agree with the way you beautifully said that, because that is, I think that's the, the thing that we often talk about when we go into a Montessori environment that we have a hard time describing. We're like, there's just this thing. <laughs> and that's my word, <laughs> my very eloquent yeah. word. There's just this thing, which you said much more beautifully than I than I ever could. But like you said, you're, you're working so hard at all of getting all of these degrees and acquiring all of this knowledge. And and we know that both of us have stepped away within the last couple of years in the classroom. You put all this time and effort into your career and this educational belief that you really believe in and this method. And then you have to walk away. Then you start homeschooling. What was that like to, we talk about it a lot of times about this just like shift in identity and it must've been a shift in lifestyle as well. And so I feel like that's probably a lot of that spiritual preparation of the adult when people come to you, it's a shift in the whole family. So what was that like? What was your experience like? A lot of grief, I think for me. I never thought homeschooling wasn't a thing, right? I had lots of preconceived ideas about what homeschooling was and who it was for. And so it was not, it wasn't ever even a fleeting thought in my brain. 
I, I am a firm believer that when one door closes, another door opens. And I am a firm believer that we're all, that life just kind of lines up and guides you in a certain direction. It's always happened to me that way. It always has. Even with Montessori, when I first came to it, here's what's ironic, and I'll get back to your question, but here's what's ironic is that my what, when I was looking for a preschool for my daughter, and my daughter was only 10 months old. Yes, I was that parent. I was that parent. Well, we know you got to get on the wait list. Because you have to get them on this wait list, you know? If you're pregnant, this is your sign. Get on the wait list. <laughs> yes, it is. And I lived in the Bay Area of all places. Like, that's highly competitive. And so I toured so many schools. And we ended up at the very first one that we went to, which was a Montessori school that was literally two blocks walking distance from our house. So that happened that way. And there were things like that led us from the Bay Area to Austin, that it just kind of all kind of lines up. And I feel like that's what happened with homeschooling. And there was a lot of grief because I never thought that this was my pathway. I really thought that I was either going to be a superintendent one day, right? I was director, right? <laughs> right there. Or that I was going to maybe open up my own my own school. I was looking into wildflower schools and I was looking into different things. So I even have my credential for to be a superintendent and what have you. But I found this joy. I found joy for the first time. And I feel like that was something that I that was very foreign to me. I think I've always been very ambitious and I've always been very driven, but in many ways it was very performative. And when I started homeschooling and I was able to spend all that time with my children and witness their milestones, and now that I'm able to do this for other families and support them to actually implement the method, I have found joy and that has allowed me to release the grief of what could have been. Actually, the last thing that you just said, which included the profound joy that comes from helping other families do this, leads us perfectly into my first question, which is, what would you say to a parent or caregiver who wants to start homeschooling? Where should they start and what should they be looking for as far as guidance? I would say that homeschooling is wonderful, but that it is not for everyone. I do think that when you take on the responsibility to educate your child, it is a big responsibility and one that you cannot take lightly. I feel that a lot of parents start homeschooling because they want the connection or they want the control. One of the two things, connection, control, or a little bit of both. And then like the self-preparation and what are we going to do? It's like, we'll figure it out later. And sometimes that's okay. But there needs to be, in my opinion, there needs to be something, some sort of guidance. You need guidance in any new venture that you're doing. You need guidance. We all learn from other people. In fact, if you consider yourself a lifelong learner, then being a lifelong learner means that you have to sit in humility and realize that there's a lot of other people that know more than you and that there's a lot more to learn. So if you're considering homeschooling, know that there's a lot more to learn and that there are other people to guide you. I feel like too many homeschoolers try to do it on their own and they end up getting very overwhelmed because they're just working off of preconceived ideas. I, I keep going back to that because they think of education in one way, which is a big misconception. I think in general, a lot of people don't really understand what teachers do. <laughs> like That's just the truth, right? They don't really understand what teachers do. And so when you're going in there as a parent, you haven't been a teacher yourself, then now you're trying to put it together and you're, you're thinking, okay, well, what does a teacher do? Well, the teacher follows a curriculum and then you start looking for a cool curriculum. Well, the thing is that when you're following the curriculum, you are not following the child. And a lot of people are constantly looking for other curricula. Oh, this didn't work for my child. This didn't work for my child. This didn't work for my child. You see it all over every Facebook group that you can, uh, you know. Shake a stick at it and some people, this didn't work, this didn't work. It's because you're trying to fit your child, that's a circle, into squares. Yeah. And in Montessori, it's not that. It's the opposite, literally. You got to start with learning how to understand your child. How do you observe the child? And that means that you have to do a lot of inner work. That, uh, when you understand your child, it, he, he does reveal, like, like Montessori said, he does reveal himself to you. And now you're able to 
choose resources and curriculums and things and, and pathways with discernment. So my biggest advice is one, be aware that there's a lot you don't know. Make sure that you have tapped into your own values and you are very clear on your why. And then seek guidance, right? Do not be that person that's like, yeah, I got in. It's like one more thing on your to-do. No, this is the education of your child. So seek guidance. I was going to ask you about about that, about, you know, why a coach and not just a curriculum? Because we get asked often, what curriculum do you suggest? But I also kind of am wondering the word coach, like you said, you are a educated, trained in this profession, but there's also nothing stopping from other people from just saying, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a educational homeschooling coach, which can probably be overwhelming for families who are looking for support. I mean, obviously, we're just going to say go to Linda. That answers that question. But <laughs> but if someone is looking and they're vetting, how do they know what to look for? And it's kind of my question about guidance is how do they know who to trust and who's going to provide them with that preparation that they need? I think a good place to start is by understanding the difference between a coach, a mentor, and a consultant. Oh, I've seen the word mentor a lot lately too. Yeah. And I think that that's important. So a mentor is someone who is doing what you want to do, right? They may not be doing it in the same way. For example, maybe you're homeschooling and you have somebody in the classroom that's doing Montessori and then they can kind of tell you, well, this is what I'm doing and see if that works for you, right? So a mentor is somebody who really speaks from personal experience and they've been doing what you want to do, you know, for a number of years. And a consultant is kind of like an advisor. So somebody who also has experience, but it also has a certain level of education, but somebody that you get, it's like a Q&A person, somebody that you can go to and say, hey, I've got a very specific question. What resources do I get? And then they kind of give you advice, right? Like you just get advice from them. And it could be about anything and everything. A coach is quite different. So a coach is someone who is going to take the time, number one, to understand where you are and where you want to be. And a coach is going to help you bridge that gap. Okay. So, and, and we strategically say, okay, these are kind of the steps that we're going to take and we're going to personalize it where we're going to follow you just like you follow the child. And we're going to get you to where you want to be, right? In the best way that you want it to be. So it's, it's much more formal. It's kind of like a, a process. It's much more structured versus a consultant is just kind of open-ended, if you will. And it's much more personalized to the client or the parent in this case. So coaching is really about helping you do it yourself, learn how to do it yourself, versus a consultant is giving you advice and then you still figure it out. A mentor is just sharing what they're wanting and what they're doing. But a coach is like, okay, where are you? Okay, here's what I think you should be doing. Go try it. How did that go? Let's tweak it here. Let's do it there. So it's, it's much more structured, I would say. And it's really about you learning how to do it yourself, not imitate what I'm doing <laughs> and not just kind of figure it out on your own. But we're going to do this together. When it comes to to answer your second question, how do you know who's who? I think that you do need to do some research. You do go into people's LinkedIn and see what what experience they have, um, what education they have. Coaches tend to have a much broader perspective on things because we need to be able to kind of meet you where you are and bring you to over here, right? And if all I know is just what I know, then it's really difficult for me to explain it in the way that you understand. So coaches tend to have a broad range of experience. So some people call themselves coaches, but they're really mentors or they're consultants. And you can really point that out. For example, a teacher who has been teaching in the same classroom, in the same school for 10 years is going to be more of a mentor or a consultant because their perspective and their experience, as long as it is, it's limited to one realm, right? So that's all they understand. How are they going to understand 
what you're going through versus, you know, for example, myself, I've taught in public and coached and been an administrator, all three in public, private, charter, Montessori, traditional, but traditional, also a little advanced STEAM schools, project-based learning schools, kindergarten through eighth grade. And I dabbled in pre-K coaching as well. And in Texas and in California, two very polar opposite politically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that broad range of perspective and experience is something I think that is very important when you're looking for a coach so that they can really start where you are and take you to where you want to be because everybody's unique and different. And we could have a whole nother episode on this, <laughs> but basically about the same kind of being true if you are taking advice from people on social media of someone having one child who's been doing Montessori for 10 months with their baby, which their experience is their experience and what worked for them worked for them. And that's wonderful. But I guess I like that advice that you're giving is that when you're seeking out someone to give you guidance, look for someone who has a bigger picture than you have and using that kind of as you know, because we do that so often, we're like looking at someone on on social media, and it's like they have this one experience, but it looks great. It looks like what I want. <laughs> it looks great, <laughs> but that's you know, it's easy to because I can even think of my own experience of I have two children, and what worked for us six months ago, I could have given all the advice in the world, isn't going to work right now. And so my perspective is incredibly limited when it comes to parenting because this is my only this is my only experience. So I think that's really great advice to, to look at your resources based on their their view, their broader view. The viewpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. We're we're saying go find guidance. It's confusing. There's so many people out there that are giving so much advice. Yeah, exactly. And we're sitting here saying go find guidance, you know, don't be too proud, you know, find humility, be humble in what you don't know what you don't know type of situation. But then that's a really great, a really great point is how do I sift through the noise out there? Because everybody now, especially after the pandemic, everybody turned to things like this, to be able to work from home, to be able to be virtual, all of that stuff. So I think that's a great question, Megan. And then a good follow up question will be the one on the actual script, which says, (laughs) do you think that a training or a certification in Montessori is necessary for the homeschoolers themselves? No, absolutely not. Why? So a certification, like we discussed, is something that is going to teach you all of the lessons for a very specific age group. When you are homeschooling, by the time you are done with that certification, your child will be on to the next age group. (laughs) Okay. So that's number one. (laughs) Number two, it isn't showing you how to do it. It is simply showing you the lessons. There's a lot of philosophy, but a lot of that know-how that takes us usually three to five years on to figure out how to actually implement it. You know, we don't, we, anybody got that kind of time when you're, when you're homeschooling, it's your child. Mm-hmm. So that is why I think when I, you know, go into to my program, it's just one of those things that you have one or two children. You don't have a whole classroom of children that are all in different planes and you need to know all the lessons so that you can put the sick place properly place the six-year-old and the three-year-old. That's just not the case. What you need to know is where is my child now? Get yourself organized. What lessons? And then get yourself organized to be able to watch those lessons, learn those lessons, and then facilitate those lessons in a way that's going to do them justice, right? And you're following your child. So in a way, you are learning alongside them. And honestly, that's what homeschooling is, is learning alongside your child. So you offer those, you're showing them the lessons and how their purpose and how to give them in your program as well? Program. So I give them the scopes and sequences from three to age three to 12. And then I also give them the curriculum. If they're a visual learner, then I uh, streamline that resource and I tell them where they could find the lessons because most of them are free on the internet. So you just got to know where to look. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I streamline that resource for them. But I am very excited that I am working this summer with a dear, dear friend of mine to help me create a video library for the clients, because I feel like that's the one thing that is missing 
in my program. They have the curriculum and they have the systems and the lesson planning and life organization and how to do a rhythm, how to all the things. But it would be great to have a visual of the lessons. And that's that's in the works. It's exciting. Yeah, that that exciting. sounds like a lot of work. A lot. Three to 12. Yeah. I mean, Laura does right now, she helps do video editing for a doula birthing. What I mean, how do you, what do you describe their prenatal postpartum fitness and birth education company? Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. So she's doing all of those videos. So she knows how time consuming that is. But it's worth it. I mean, in both situations, you are speaking to people at a really vulnerable and confusing time in their lives and having a reliable, you know, non-divisive source of information and, you know, sort of role model, a coach to get you through it, right? They're coaches, you're a coach. It's really, it's worth it. So I'm very excited that you're doing that. I think that's going to be a huge game changer for so many people who have felt like this is all so inaccessible to them because we talk about this all the time and Montessori has this bad rap of being that if you don't have these, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of mean house materials and washika biome sets and all that stuff that you see in the perfect classroom or the perfect Instagram account that you can't do Montessori. And I, it's just such a shame. Because that's what we're focused on, especially in social media. People are focused on an aesthetic. And so Montessori is, I've always said it, is very much an aesthetic. Beauty is a a non-negotiable of a prepared environment, but it's not everything. And and it's not, uh, which to your point, is not everything. It doesn't mean that because you can't get them all at once doesn't mean that you can't learn how to incorporate it. And that's another thing that I... So much of that beauty isn't seen. Like you can't take a picture of it. Yes. And, you know, all of that, we just did a episode on kind of an introduction to language in the primary classroom. And so much of that, the richness, you can't see that. And you don't see that. You don't see when you walk into a classroom and you see all of these beautiful things and these children interacting so graciously with them, you don't see the grace and courtesy lesson that was given. You don't see the beautiful poetry that was spoken. There's so much of it that you need to be able to understand that isn't just snappable on a photo. Absolutely. You can't, you can't. How did that get there? And I think a lot of things that get in the way for a lot of people in being able to even comprehend that or imagine that is that we are, we grew up in a society, a westernized society that is very performance-based. I mean, even parenting is performative, right? (laughs) so oh have you seen my baby look what they did you know Mm -hmm. even parenting is performative and when you're very performance based and you're very performance focused you're also very outcome oriented and so when you're looking at something on social media you're seeing the outcome you're seeing the result and so people go in expecting those things just with the things but to your point there's almost like a blindness on how we got there Yeah, you're never really asked to come observe in the classroom during the normalization period, right? Every teacher knows there's a certain amount of weeks at the beginning of the year. (laughs) You can't see us until October. (laughs) Exactly. Where parents aren't coming in yet because everybody takes a minute to get to that beautiful, gracious interaction with the materials that Megan's talking about. And a lot of consistency. Yes, so much consistency. And It's there's just a lot of work that goes into getting that shiny, polished final product at the end that we have a tendency to want to skip to in our culture in general with all things. And the years of that teacher, you know, my first year teaching is not going to look the same, you know, as, you know. Laura's 10th year teaching it's they look very different so it's the same thing for for us as adults which I feel like goes perfectly into the script question (laughs) (laughs) thank you Megan my final question for the evening see see we get there we do (laughs) see keep going back that's the anchor And we we are desperately trying to break away and float free in the ocean, but we will stick to the next question, which is what would be some of the most frequent struggles that you hear about from your clients? Organization. Yeah. Themselves. People say, I don't have time or I don't, when am I going to find the time for this? How do I do this? How do I put this together? 
everything is very disjointed. You know, it feels like I'm throwing spaghetti, wet spaghetti yeah. at the wall and seeing what sticks. So I think that for a lot of people, it's self-organization. And also, I think lack of consistency, speaking of consistency. So a lot of folks don't know really how to establish a recognizable order or how to establish a rhythm, especially in homeschooling, because in homeschooling, it's so dictated by the unschooling movement that a lot of times Montessori gets kind of like meshed together. And a matter of fact, a lot of Montessori coaches in this space are what I would say Montessori inspired unschoolers. That's how, that's kind of what I would describe it. And so when people see that, it's like, oh, you know, follow the child. They just do whatever they want. And there's this big, especially in the homeschool realm, misconception of lack of structure. And we all know that that cannot be further from the truth. When it comes to Montessori. Yes, I say this all the time. If you've seen one picture of Maria Montessori, you know she had things under control. Like those kids were not running the show. We dominated everything that occurred, right? <laughs> not the child, but everything exactly. else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I think those things are things that a lot of people really struggle. And I think that's why curriculum publishers and curriculum creators do so well is because they're people are constantly grabbing at straws and just kind of trying to figure out how to make it work. I feel like there are two very different. There's the kind of Montessori parenting world mm-hmm. and then there's the Montessori method. And when you're talking about parenting using this philosophy, you know, people often talk about you know, following their interest and letting them get involved and all of that stuff is beautiful and wonderful. The Montessori method is very different. And so I, I see them sometimes getting confused if you get them in a classroom and we just follow their interests. We kind of have a plan with where we're going to go. <laughs> and of course, we're yeah. going to respect their interests and hope that things are inviting and exciting and that we connect with them and what they like, you know, we're going to get to know these children and respect who they are and watch them become who they're going to become. But it is very different. We do have an idea of where they're going, not just an idea, we've got a plan, <laughs> you know? And so I can see that getting a little bit muddied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you're at, you're doing it at home. You're being a parent, a Montessori parent, and you're being a almost professional yeah. at home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's this is why I, I always tell homeschoolers that you must have a three-hour work cycle. And a lot of people have this idea that a three-hour work cycle is sitting in a room doing tasks, but it isn't. It, the three-hour work cycle at homeschool is much more about the adult than it is about the child. It's about the adult setting that time aside so that you're not doing laundry and you're not doing dishes and you're not doing anything else. All you are doing is being present with your child and guiding them. And now that might be that you go outside for a little bit, that you go into the kitchen for a little bit, that you're reading a story, you're doing some work on the shelf, but that's like a designated time. And I think that that requires a lot of self-discipline in the adults. And a lot of times they say, well, my child's not ready. It ain't the child. It ain't the child. It ain't the kid, honey. (laughs) The child. You just blew my mind when you said that because I didn't even think about how hard it would be for me as the parent and trained Montessori guide, but as the parent in my home to not be trying to multitask during my work cycle. I would absolutely set up a lesson, give the lesson, and then instead of sitting to observe, I would go unload the dishwasher and like, you know, glance over to see how it's going. I'm not going to sit and take notes. I've got other stuff to do. So wow, that's a huge huge one that you as the adult have to set aside the work cycle, not just set it up for them to go do their thing. You have to be a part of it and really dedicate it and put your phone away. You know, like this is not free time. This is work time. That's yeah. Because it is important, right? When you're raising a lifelong learner, it's so to me, the purpose of a work cycle in, especially in homeschool is to set 
time aside for learning and study. Now, again, this gets all muddied into the unschooling world where learning is everything and they learn by experience. Yes, that is true, but we don't just learn through experience. We can also learn by reading and books and study and conversation, etc. And so setting that three-hour work cycle aside when you are also making that important is modeling for the child that this matters, that taking this time to study and learn is not just something that you do, but it is something that matters and that requires self-discipline, right? Because otherwise, if your understanding of learning is just experiential, then that means that your experience is the only one that matters. And the truth is that it isn't. There's no way that I would ever understand, for example, the experience of an African-American woman. So, but it is my responsibility to. And so how do I do that? I need to take the time to set the time aside and study and learn and seek guidance, right? I cannot be expecting other people to do that work for me or for somebody else to just educate me on it. Right, that you're just going to happen upon that naturally in your day. Exactly. Because if that's not your lived experience, then how are you going to to learn about those things that are very important? So setting that time aside to learn, to study, to develop that self-discipline that is required of being a self-directed learner. You cannot be a self-directed learner without having self-discipline, period, right? Then how are they going to, to learn it? Right. There's a lot of reasons why that dedicated time is there. I think that that combats a lot of fears and preconceived ideas about homeschoolers is that you do find that sometimes, or at least in the past, maybe it's been used as a way to keep your world smaller and to, yeah, I don't know how to say this tactfully, <laughs> but you know, that there's, you know, a certain type of person and you want to be able to continue to think the way that you think. So you stay home and you, you live that way. And so I feel like that is a lot of times a fear of maybe someone who is interested in Montessori is, is if I keep them at home, how are they going to learn about the world around them? And how are they going to become global citizens if they're just in our living room? And so I feel like that's such a, simple, we always say simple doesn't mean easy, but simple way to think about it. And it's already built into the method itself. So we're staying true to it has to be that you're not doing Montessori, if all you're doing is your own lived experience. And I actually have found that homeschooling has given us way more opportunities, because we do not have this predetermined structure on how to learn. So we do, we set that time aside. But what's so wonderful, for example, we were studying different forms of government. I have an older child. So we were, we were studying about different forms of government and what is a democracy and what's a theocracy and, you know, having really good conversations. And so as we're talking, I'm like, okay, why don't we in the moment, and this was back when I lived in Austin, and I'm like, you know what? We live in Austin. It's the, it's the capital of Texas. Let's go. And we packed up and up we went and we did what we had to do. Right now we go to, we world school a lot. We go, we're planning for another four months away this year to go and be immersed in the cultures and not just see it in books and not just read about it, which is important. Yes. But also to see it and experience it and live it. So so that the child is making those connections. And honestly, I don't think that we we would have had, and we never did when my children were in school, that privilege to, to just pack up and go. It, it was limited to the quarterly field trip, you know? <laughs> right. To be fully immersed in the subject that you're learning about at your own whim too. And not just like you said, the quarterly field trip. It was an act of Congress to get a bus to take my kids to the museum like once a year. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how much red tape. And like you said, just there's just a lot of other stuff controlling the experience in any kind of school setting. And like you said, having such a, have a real experience, if you're talking about a second plane or a third plane child who needs to go out and experience 
community and, and experience the world, that whole idea of altruism and them truly believing that they can make a difference and, and feeding it like, let's go. Let's go see what's going on. Let's go figure out what's on the ballot and who we might want to vote for. Like Those are things that are so built in and sensitive in this moment during that plane of development. And if we're just stuck in a classroom. So I just think that's so it's making me want to homeschool. <laughs> I have I have both of my kids enrolled. Can I get my enrollment back? <laughs> Well, I think you, you also redefine like who you're learning from, right? So in Montessori, big part of the experience is learning from your peers. And that's all well and good. And you can recreate that. We do. You There's lots of communities. Homeschooling is not what it used to be 10 years ago, let me tell you. Again, especially post-pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of people who never thought they would do homeschooling are doing it now. So Are doing it yeah. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you do redefine like who do you learn from? So your classmates are not just people who are your age or around your age. Montessori, we're privileged to have a multi-age group, but it's everybody. It's your grandparent. Like sit down with grandpa. He's going to tell you a story about the Philippines. That's fresh in my mind because that's what happened. My father-in-law's from the Philippines. So he's going to tell you a story, you know, go sit with grandma, go and, you know, there's some random person at the park and there's the grocer and see, talk to the postman. So there's, all these people and you are actually living life and experiencing it. And of course, especially in the second plane, incorporating, you know, either a nature school or those experiences. Children don't need to be in a classroom for six to eight hours a day. They don't need to be around their peers for that long. They really don't. They, you know, a couple hours, <laughs> it's totally fine. So my, my son, for example, goes to farm school. Can you think of anything more monastery aligned than that? <laughs> I love everything about that. Well, actually, you know what? Honestly, I'm looking at the script. We have words of advice or encouragement for anyone who feels like, you know what? Maybe I want to do this, which I feel like has been this entire episode because <laughs> Megan and I are about to start homeschooling. <laughs> so if you're not encouraged and advised, if you're not encouraged and advised at this point in the episode, then you're a lost cause, but still you need to go check out her program, which leads us to the very last thing, Megan. Okay, so where can people go to find you and your coaching resources? They can go to my website. I think that that is the most streamlined way to learn a little bit more. There's a landing page for my services. It's the themontessoriteacher.com. <laughs> They're very straightforward. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're welcome back anytime. We are fully inspired. And also just, I feel like anyone who has the pleasure of following you and your kind of authentic, true to yourself, true to the method, badass, no BS <laughs> attitude is really refreshing in this space. And I just hope you keep doing what you're doing. And we can't wait to continue following you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's transition to everybody's favorite part of the show, Confessions from the Wild. I was inspired to share one just earlier today. I was sitting in the rocking chair in the nursery and I was no longer nursing my son. I think I was just rocking him and like just, you know, hanging out, having a nice little quiet time. And it was really dark in there. And so I'm sitting with him. I know the listeners at home can't see, but you can see me. So I'm sitting with him up here, like his head's, you know, up on my collarbone on this side. So his little elbow is bent and resting on my chest on my left side. And so I'm leaned back a little bit and I look down and out of my like kind of peripheral, you know, like I can't really see a lot, but I see his little elbow and I assume that what I see is my breast because there was a time in my life where out of my peripheral, that's right about where it sat right there <laughs> right where right where there you was a time <laughs> i love right the where you wanted to be on your chest <laughs> there was a time where that was a very familiar you know shape happening right about there on my body and so as i'm like struggling to focus my eyes in the darkness i i see oh that's not that's not my body that's his body that's his elbow and so i'm like well where's my boob so i <laughs> follow I follow the line down to about my elbow where I find the end <laughs> the end of my my tot my little tater tot here and by little tater tot I mean massive yam growing in the 
<laughs> Serengeti. I don't know. Do they grow there? Who knows? The point is, I had a nice little quiet moment in the dark where I thought, Do you see my yam growing in the Serengeti? <laughs> I did. I did say this it was a very colorful, <laughs> colorful confession. Sorry. Continue. I don't know why. I'm trying so desperately to avoid saying like boob and breast. I don't know why. We've said way worse things on this show. And so they're like, there's nothing wrong with those words. But yeah, my, uh, my tata is all the way down here. And I just had this quiet little moment to myself where I thought, RIP cute boobs. Mm-hmm. And welcome in this new chapter of mom boobs. And I am <laughs> so grateful for them. Okay. Like I, it's, yeah. it's easy to be down on yourself for, for a second about that. You know, like, oh, bikinis will never fit the same way. This will never look, whatever. It doesn't matter. Their, their purpose was to feed my children. That's what they've done. And there's a physical, physical repercussion from that. I'm like really struggling to find the right words. <laughs> but um, I love the words that you're finding. <laughs> it's like I'm giving a professional development speech to like a group of men. My tatas. <laughs> scientifically speaking, that would be the proper name for them. So yeah, I just just had this little moment where I think most moms can relate, uh, especially if you if you did breastfeed, which I feel again, very, very fortunate that I've been able to do I, I didn't grow up, I, I wasn't breastfed, I didn't grow up in a family where I saw it happening around me. I a lot of my friends who had babies before me had a really hard time with it and ended up kind of not being able to do it. And so I, I was really anxious about it. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to and I have been and it has to. not been an easy the second time around it has not been easy so you're absolutely right with my son it's been a much tougher journey and so again I'm very grateful for it but yeah there was just a very solemn moment where I realized that things just have settled in places that they didn't used to be at (laughs) so so yeah that's my my hopefully relatable confession for oh yeah I mean I remember feeling that way the moment I found out I was pregnant I had I was taking a shower and I got out and I was like, and I started to cry. My husband came in and I was like, I didn't even get to say goodbye because he had changed already. Like my, everything else was the same. I didn't get to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was very fond of those <laughs> pre-baby boobs, but you know. So maybe this will be a good cautionary tale to those who are currently expecting because I think whether you nurse or not your body goes through it changes pretty crazy yeah it was like like six weeks that I was yeah. six weeks pregnant and they were already different. Yeah, you're like, whoa, whose boobs are these? And <laughs> yeah. at that point, they kind of look great. But then after- Oh, they did not look great. Months, I didn't no? think that they looked you great. Didn't think and, they, so? See. and they hurt and they were different. And I just was not thrilled about that. And that's like a whole, I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole of just how hard it is to just like watch your body change so drastically in such a short amount of time. It you is. You know, while your partner crazy. just stays the same. Yeah. Pretty unfair if you think about it. But I definitely, I definitely felt like there was an immediate change, but everything was very full. Everything was very full bodied. I was a very full-bodied woman, and now it's kind of just hanging out wherever it lands. And uh, did you want to make that your confession that you didn't get to say goodbye to your breast? No. Children? <laughs> <laughs> that was just my way of of connecting to your story and let you know that you're not alone and let you know how much I appreciate your very creative euphemisms. You know how much that means to me coming from you because usually my <laughs> confessions are met with a blank stare and, uh, oh, that's never happened to me before. <laughs> <laughs> my boobs are still perfectly horizontal. Yeah. <laughs> horizontal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's not true. I was not able to escape that one. None of us are. No, I was, I have very handily like a list because for those of you who are not here, which is all of you, <laughs> literally everybody listening that isn't me and you, <laughs> we are recording this at a 
different time. And so we just jumped on this call. I think we decided that we were going to do it 10 minutes ago. So we didn't really prepare anything. But I have a handy little list of embarrassing things I've done throughout my life on my notes app. I love this. You could feel free to share that with me just in general, <laughs> just so I can just they watch them roll in. They don't make any sense. So, <laughs> you know, this one says European vacation. You need me to be able to explain to you what European vacation means. So I will share that with you. So I was meeting my husband in Germany. We were going to go on a little vacation. He was out of the country for work and we were going to meet in Germany on this like little romantic vacation before we got married. And before I had to meet him, we were driving up to New York, your neck of the woods, which was by my first time ever that north, also my first time ever in New York. But we were driving up to a wedding and... We were driving up with friends and it was just me and some friends. And this is so me. You're going to just be like, oh my God, this is the most Megan thing I've ever heard of in my life. So we get about to where you live. So about an hour into our drive. And I'm looking around the back seat, and I'm like, I forgot my phone in the bathroom at my friend's house. <laughs> so from where we are to New York, how long do you think that takes? From where we are to New York? Yeah. Is a minimum of... Eight, eight hours minimum. And that's if you're not stopping, going to the bathroom. So we're looking at an eight hour drive left or an hour drive back to the house to get my phone and then back another, then I guess nine hours. So we're sitting there, we're driving and they're like, what do you, what do you want to do? And I was like, you know what? It's fine. I don't need a phone. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? I'll I'll be good. (laughs) It's totally fine. Now this is like 2017. So it's not like... (laughs) This is it's before like I a, was in your life having an absolute panic attack that you don't have your like phone on This was like the year you, before. Because you are now no longer allowed to not have your phone. <laughs> it's like a few months before I met you. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I don't need a phone. I can just go to Germany without <laughs> one. <laughs> go abroad with no way to connect to people. So we go to New York. We have this great time at this wedding. And then on the way home, all my friends have to drop me off at the airport in DC for me to fly to Germany. So I get to DC, they drop me off and I'm at the airport and I'm like, I don't have a phone. How am I going to meet him in Germany? I don't have a phone. (laughs) Megan. I was so just blase about it. (laughs) Really way too cavalier about And then when I got there, I was like, I was like, what am I going to do? So yeah, that was just kind of my silly, silly, silly decision. And we had someone had like sent it to the hotel in New York so that I could have it there. And it didn't get there in time. So then they had to send it to... (laughs) So they had to send it back to my house. So anyway, I ended up going to New York, going to DC, meeting my husband in Germany, having a whole little vacation there, flying back home and going back home without a phone. And yeah, so that was just, it's not really a confession. It's more just like a story of how my brain works and how I always feel like I'm going to be okay (laughs) when I'm not. (laughs) guys okay definitely not okay (laughs) my blind confidence that's it is like i could go to europe and meet up with someone when i don't have a phone to a country i've never been before i have talked many a time about how much i admire your blind confidence (laughs) and also how many times at this point life has absolutely beat you down and you still (laughs) keep just being like this is fine i'm fine it's i don't need it i don't need it and my friends always talk about that because like any other person would be freaking out like we got to go back we got to get my phone or like if it didn't come into the hotel like and it's just you know there was a time that people didn't have phones and they were fine and I was fine I have no pictures of that vacation (laughs) it's true well but also nowadays like my boarding pass is on my phone you know there's a yeah I would be like, I just left my right arm an hour away. We have to go back and get it, you know? Yeah, well, I didn't even know, like, once I got there, what if he wasn't at that airport? Or what if my flight changed? Just in Germany now. How do I know where to find him? I don't know how to call people in Germany. So anyway. (laughs) That's so Megan of you. I love it. Yeah. Thought you would appreciate that. So thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild.